Hello, and welcome to You Might Also Like, a podcast where you will receive the movie suggestions you didn't know you needed. I'm your host, as always, Luke Spaulding, coming to you from my closet with my dog, Winston, because he can no longer be trusted to roam around the apartment while I record in the closet because he found a snack and a very expensive duvet cover. So hopefully he sleeps very quietly and soundly while I record this podcast episode today. Today I've got two movies where the characters in the movie find out how much you really miss while you are sleeping, and not just sleeping for a night, but sleeping for days on time. I've got two movies where the characters are in a coma and life is just passing around by them. The fact that I found two movies that involve two people in a coma is honestly quite astonishing, but I've got While You Were Sleeping and 28 Days Later. While You Were Sleeping, starring Sandra Bullock, directed by John Turtletaub, who brought us Cool Runnings and National Treasure. This movie this movie has an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, has a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb, got Sandra Bullock a Golden Globe nomination, and honestly really kind of put Sandy on the map with rom-coms. I mean, this movie came out before, you know, came out before Practical Magic, which is a movie that I talked about back in one of the earlier episodes of this podcast. It came out before 28 Days, came out before Miss Congeniality. It definitely wasn't Sandy's first credited role, but I'm looking at the other, the really the only big thing that came out before while you were sleeping for her was Speed. I don't really know any of the other credits, that she, movies that she's been in before that. So I honestly, to me, while you were sleeping, put her on the map. This movie came out back in 1995. It is about a hopeless, romantic Chicago Transit Authority token collector is mistaken for the fiancé of a coma patient. And if that is not just the perfect plot for a mindless rom-com to just sit down and have a few glasses of red wine or even a bottle and have some butter pecan ice cream and just watch a very, like, loving Sandy Bullock vehicle, then I don't know what else is. And also any movie that starts out with this song. This will be an everlasting love. This will be the one I've waited for. You know it's you're in for a treat when you hear this song in the opening credits of any movie. Let me just read you some of the movies that uh, This Will Be by Natalie Cole has also played in. Also, The Parent Trap, which was my inaugural episode movie. So that's why I knew I had such an affinity to this song because the second I heard it, I was just brought back to the last time I watched The Parent Trap, which was when I watched it for the first episode of my podcast, which was at this point like 20 weeks ago because this is my 20th episode. Gosh, time flies. This song also plays in Charlie's Angel Full Throttle, A Cinderella Story, Taxi, a comedy with Queen Latifah, must Love Dogs, uh, Bride Wars, the one with Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway, plays in a couple Hallmark movies, um, Wedding Bells and Last Bridesmaid, um, plays in Shazam, that superhero movie. And I'm honestly, I'm sure there's many more movies to come that that song will play in. Natalie Cole may be resting in her grave, but her song will live on in rom-coms for centuries to come, I'm sure. But like I said, this movie, we've got our... One of my favorite actresses, Sandra Bullock. Don't love her as much as my favorite Reese Witherspoon, but Sandy is really probably in like definitely the top 10, maybe top five of my faves. Sandra Bullock is just a lonely Chicago Transit Authority employee 
who's just collecting tokens in her booth all day. She lives at home with just a cat. Her mom and dad have both passed away. She really doesn't have anybody in her life. This is kind of a Christmas movie. This is kind of why I watched it this week because, you know, we're very well into the holiday season by now. And Sandy's boss pressures her into working on Christmas Day because he's like, well, you're the only employee that doesn't have any family. And she's like, yeah, yeah, like... I'm the loner of the employees, like, yeah, fine, I'll work Christmas Day. And she's just extremely lonely because I'm sure it's an extremely sad life to have both your parents gone, not really have many friends, not re- not have a significant other, only just have your cat that you live with, live with in an apartment in Chicago. I'm sure that gets lonely either way, especially when you're in a job where people are just throwing tokens in your drawer and you're never really having more than just like one second interactions with everybody but to make matters worse it's Christmas and she's working on Christmas and she has nobody to spend the holiday with and really all she has in her life that she looks forward to is these two second interactions with Peter Gallagher who's this businessman that comes through her line every day and throws her his token to get on the subway into her little drawer And she's just, like, head over heels with him, even though she's never met him. Every time she sees him, she just can't get up the words to say something to him. Well, on Christmas Day, he comes through her line. Who knows where he's going on Christmas? But she sees him get mugged and then thrown into the subway tracks. So what does Sandy do? Because Sandy, being the fantastic heroine that she is, runs out there and jumps into the tracks to save him because he's passed out laying on a train track when a train is coming. So basically, Sandy saves his life and then goes to the hospital to see him. And Peter's family comes in and one of the nurses like lets it slip like, oh, this is his fiance. And she's like, I never said that. But she the nurse kind of just assumed. And honestly, I don't blame Sandy for not correcting her because If you had this, like, hysterical Chicago family running up to you and crying and being like, Hey, we're from Chicago. Thank you for saving our... We're so happy that our... I don't know how to do a Chicago accent, clearly. But she's got his mom, his dad, his grandma, his grandpa, his sister. They're all, like, sobbing and they're all so grateful for her. And they're all so happy to find out that he has a fiancé even though they didn't know about her. I mean, how do you in that moment on Christmas Day, be like, ooh, actually, nope, sorry, just kidding, like, don't know him, just saved his life, but it was nice to meet you guys, see you later. Especially when you add on to the fact that she's already so lonely and just yearning for that family that she hasn't had for so long, and she all of a sudden has this family right in front of her, so she just panics and doesn't know what to do, and she just... And it's a rom-com. I mean, of course, this is what happens. If something like this happened in real life, that would be absolutely insane. She's been so lonely all her life, she literally falls in love with a man that she's never talked to and just lets the family believe the love story. Then when Sandy is having a great time with the family for Christmas, um, this family is insane, too. They literally, like, just meet her, and the next day they already have, like, a stocking made for her and, like, gifts for her to open, like, the very next day when they invite her over for Christmas. I'm like, how did they pull that together so fast? Then comes along skeptical brother Bill Pullman. I'm not really convinced with the two, like, heartthrob men of this movie. Like, Peter Gallagher isn't that attractive. And Bill Pullman. I'm always just going to see Bill Pullman as the um, weird detective in The Sinner who likes to get his hands stepped on. 
the one who was like into S&M stuff. So I'm just, I'm not really loving him for Sandra Bullock. I was more into rom-coms when she had like Ryan Reynolds, you know. But yeah, Bill Pullman comes in and Sandra Bullock starts to send, spend a lot of time with him. He's kind of skeptical about her being his fiance the whole time. But while they kind of have this fun, cheeky relationship, they kind of start to fall in love with each other, of course. Even though, like, surface level, you're like, oh, Sandra Bullock, this woman who lied to a family on Christmas Day about being their comatose son's fiance, comes to their Christmas when she doesn't even know them has no affiliation with the family, and then starts to fall in love with the brother, surface level, you're like, wow, she sounds like a really shitty person. But Sandra Bullock is not the villain of this movie. There really is no villain of this movie. She's not vindictive at all. She doesn't want to hurt anyone. She just wants a family to love. She just, she wants a husband. She wants kids. She wants the running 5Ks on Thanksgiving morning. She wants a honeymoon in Florence, Italy. She just... She hasn't had that, and what she has is a cat and a second-story apartment and a shitty job as a transit authority for the subway in Chicago. I mean, she just wants more for her life, and she gets sucked so far into this lie that she just lets it happen. I mean, haven't you ever had that circumstance where somebody keeps getting your name wrong, and they've gotten it wrong so many times that it's just like you let them do it? You don't correct them after a certain point, and then you get all of a sudden it's five months in, and you're like, Well, I guess I'm Kevin now. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm an extreme pushover. But Sandra Bullock is just so precious in this movie. She literally carries around a passport in case adventure strikes in the moment, and she's suddenly going to hop on a plane to Italy because she wants to go there so badly. And you just root for her this entire movie, and you know eventually that the coma guy is going to wake up and tell the family, hey, I don't know this chick and everything's going to go haywire. And that does come. And his family is stupid. They, He's literally like reciting his social security card. His, like he's reciting off so many numbers. He's like, this is my phone number. This is my social security. This is my blood type. And they're still like, no, you gotta know her. That's your fiance. That's Lucy. Like, he just has amnesia. And I'm like, oh my god, you guys. And then he's kind of just like, well, I might as well love her. My family does. Like, do you, will you marry me, Lucy? The logic behind this Chicago family just really isn't there. But if there was any logic in this movie at all, then Sandra Bullock wouldn't have gone into this mess in the first place. So... Logic is just something that doesn't exist in the world of rom-coms, and that's what creates amazing movies like this. Like I said, it's just a super cheeky, cute love story. I mean, even the way that Bill Pullman and Sandra Bullock, like, kind of meet each other as, like, brother, and to him, she's about to be a sister-in-law, but he's still falling for her, she's falling for him. The whole time span of this movie is just, like, over, like, Christmas to New Year, so it's, like, a week and then all of a sudden, like, at the end, Bill Pullman's, like, throwing an engagement ring in the Sandra Bullock's, like, token collecting thing. Like, well, I love you too. You want to get married? It's just kind of, like, everything moves extremely fast in this movie. Even faster than The Bachelor and Bachelorette. But you're just so happy for Sandra Bullock. You just kind of let your... You just kind of let the part of your brain that deciphers reasoning and logic... You just let that... Let let that go. I mean, just let that fly with the wind because you're just happy for Sandra. She's 
finally going to get the man of her dreams and get to go to Florence, Italy. So if you liked While You Were Sleeping, you might also like The Proposal. The Proposal, I actually noticed, has a lot of similarities. I mean, propose, The Proposal, I know I'll talk about it eventually on this podcast. I mean, we've got Sandy also being a part of a fake engagement, but this time the guy actually knows about it because it's like a whole green... I mean, you guys have seen that movie before. Um, also in the proposal, we've got another grandma, like, in While You Were Sleeping, who Sandy's scared to tell the truth because she's scared that it will, like, affect the grandma's health. Like, that happens in both movies. So there's a lot of parallels with these. But you might also like Two Weeks Notice, Love Potion Number 9, The Lake House, All About Steve... Literally, all of these are just romantic comedies starring Sandra Bullock. But what I'm going to tell you that you might also like instead is another movie involving someone who wakes up from a coma and the world around them is just completely insane. And that is 28 Days Later. 28 Days Later, directed by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland, starring Cillian Murphy and Naomi Harris has an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 7.6 on IMDb. This movie just really was like a catalyst and like a real game changer for the zombie genre as well. Danny Boyle and Alex Garland are quite the team to come and make this movie as well. Danny Boyle is the director of the Oscar-winning movie Slumdog Millionaire, and he also directed 127 Hours, the movie where... James Franco cuts his arm off when he gets stuck in a boulder. Alex Garland um, is a nominated writer for Ex Machina. He also wrote Annihilation, which is a great sci-fi movie with Natalie Portman. And they both really just said in this movie, they said, what if zombies, what if zombies but fast? That's like the catchphrase for this movie for me. It really all starts out too because of some um, British PETA activist who just think that they're doing the right thing and they really um start the spread of this zombie plague that sweeps the nation and the country and the world were to assume cillian murphy wakes up 28 days into the zombie apocalypse after being in a coma because he was i think hit by a bike or some or he was on a bike hit by a car something he wakes up in a hospital naked kind of had some questions with that it's like, what hospital just, are they just like, screw it, he's in a coma. I mean, we got to save these Johnnies for other patients. He can just be naked. So, of course, since he was naked, all the IMDb keywords for this movie are like, pubic hair, penis, male genitalia, full, male full frontal nudity. Like, okay, calm down. How about like, zombie apocalypse, plague, scary, you know, but no, that... The IMDb keywords are just absolutely insane. But basically, he comes out of the hospital and imagine like the fear and confusion when you're walking around an empty city with like dead bodies piled up places and you walk into a church and all of a sudden a priest just starts charging you with bloodshot eyes and like foaming at the mouth and tries to bite you. I mean, that is the worst way to wake up. Oh my gosh. And I thought that it sucked to wake up two minutes before your alarm and not have any knowing, oh, oh my God, I thought I was going to wake up and I had two hours left, but I only have two minutes until my alarm goes off. No, Cillian Murphy wakes up and everybody that he knows is gone. The whole planet has gone to shit and 
zombies are running around trying to eat your face off. And they're not the slow zombies that you have time to run away from. They're like Olympic athletes. And then of course, he runs into Naomi Harris and this other dude that she's kind of going around the zombie apocalypse with. Um, and they kind of update him on what's happened while he was sleeping. And Naomi Harris, she she's fantastic. She was um, in Moonlight. She is ruthless in this movie. Her friend that she were introduced to her with gets bit at one point and she makes has no hesitation to just like kill him with a machete on the spot because she knows that the second that he gets in contact with any of the zombies, even if it's just like blood in your mouth or blood in your eye or bitten by one of them, like you have like 10 to 20 seconds before you turn into a zombie as well. And eventually Naomi and Cillian come across a dad and daughter you know, Naomi is, she's just a survivalist in this movie. She sees them as dead weight that will just slow them down. And Cillian is like, no, they're good people. I mean, Cillian is new to this world and Naomi's been doing it for 28 days. So she's just doing anything she can to survive. And he's, honestly, if he didn't have her, he would probably be dead already. This movie was purposely, Garland and Boyle purposely shot it with they purposely filmed it on using a canon xl1 camera instead of just like an actual like commercial filming camera because they said it was like an aesthetic analogic choice um aesthetically danny boyle felt that the harshness of the dv imagery suited the post-apocalyptic urban landscape and the grittiness of the film in general in the production notes boyle says this general idea was to try and shoot as though we were survivors too. Logistically, producer Andrew McDonald claims that shooting with standard cameras, especially some exterior scenes, would have been impossible. I guess it was very easy for them during filming in London, and it helped them work well with the police in London because it was super quick for them to set up scenes rather than if they had actual, like, huge cameras that they would normally use on a big-budget movie like this. This movie just, like, really... They just took, like, such a new contemporary view with the zombie genre um they said too the idea was that the virus didn't necessarily affect people physically it doesn't kill them in a traditional zombie movies but physiologically both alex and danny felt that the idea that the virus renders people zombie-like due to uncontrollable rage was a good metaphor for the contemporary phenomenon of social rage they liked the idea that the virus simply amplifies something already in each and every man and woman rather than turning them into something entirely other, as is the traditional route with zombie movies, rather than just them turning into a lifeless walking dead who walks at one mile an hour and your arm is like falling off and you moan and you like to eat brains. Like that's been done in zombie movies for years and years. But Danny Boyle and Alex Garland were like, no, we're going to shoot this on a tiny camera so that it's super gritty and post-apocalyptic looking. And these zombies are going to be fast as hell because they're just going to be like rageful humans rather who have a virus. Like to Danny and Alex, it, they never really even say like zombies in this movie. They always call them the infected. So I think to Danny and Alex, this was like they were really interested in like a pandemic which is ironic timing that i watched this movie made me grateful that coronavirus doesn't at least turn us into that but i think they were really inspired it sounds weird to say they were inspired by the ebola virus because who how could you get inspired by that but like 
they're inspired by the idea of like an a pan like an epidemic, a pandemic, like something sweeping the world and causing everybody to you know, come down to this mysterious illness, and in this case, an illness that turns everyone into rageful monsters who, you know, want to bite flesh. And in and this movie too, it's not just about like the zombies trying to eat us. Let's survive. Like towards the end of the movie, we see how political it gets, and it really shows us how. I mean, even in like most recent events, we see how political a pandemic can become. I mean, they get to this military like safe haven that they think the military is really only interested in giving the women like sexual solitude they just want to repopulate and you know when Cillian Murphy tries to help the two girls that he's with you know Naomi Harris and this other girl that they met along the way this kid he I mean the movie just kind of goes to absolute shit there because these military guys are creeps who are just trying to sleep with the girls and they're trying they're like keeping Cillian Murphy hostage at one point because he tried to help them escape it it just goes to show it's never just about the disease and surviving it there's always so many other layers to it and that's really what Alex Garland and Danny Boyle showed with this movie but for Naomi and Cillian and the little girl Hannah in this movie they really are just trying to survive in this movie and they think that they're come they think they found hope when they come to this you know huge palace where this military is holding up and then they realize that that was a mistake to go there this movie really just was a game changer for the zombie genre i really liked 28 weeks later when rose byrne comes in but i did like this movie a lot the something i don't really usually notice about movies is the score but there's this song that plays at the end of this well I don't even know if I'd call it a song there's this music that plays at the end of this movie and it also plays a lot in 28 weeks later that's just does such a good job at adding like suspense and fear in your bones while you know a very climactic scene is happening said peter gallagher and Cillian murphy just wake up to a shitstorm both of them peter is engaged to a woman that he's never met and his family is all in on it as well and Cillian murphy wakes up to a zombie apocalypse and i gotta say if i was in a coma and i woke up and sandra bullock was my fiance and i don't remember it you know what I'd take it, because that's much better than waking up to a zombie apocalypse. I think if if I had Sandra Bullock staring in my face, being like, hey, honey, I'd be like, you know what, that's fine. That's fine. With that being said, you guys, write and review me on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on social media at You Might Also Like Pod. Until next time, goodbye.